Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Today is Monday, October 19th, 2020, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on the book of Ezekiel, and we will specifically be looking at Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 1 through 49. And today, as we look at this passage of scripture, let us be reminded that God is showing his glory. He's showing his self to Ezekiel in order to show his self to the people. And we come to the last nine chapters of Ezekiel. And what we realize in these last nine chapters is that God is revealing himself to the people and promising that he will bring his presence back. Now, we're going to see, this may feel like for us living in 2020, a very obscure way of the Lord showing that he's bringing his presence to the people. But as we'll see through these passages of scripture, God is revealing himself to the people. He's promising the people that he will restore his presence to them. And this is an awesome, awesome promise. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 40, which is our key passage, but it's going to take us to Exodus chapter 40, which I believe is a parallel passage, which reminds us that this was not just a message for those in captivity in Babylon. This is a message for us today. And so, beloved, if you have wandered onto this podcast, or if you listen to this podcast, or if you've been tracking along with us as we have studied the book of Ezekiel, I want to ask you a question today. Do you feel tired? Do you feel at times that the Lord is distant? Do you feel at times that you are alienated from the presence of God? Are there times that you feel like you've been exiled and sent to your room? I want you to be reminded that if you are in Christ, the presence of God is in you. His temple is in you. His dwelling place is in you. And so even as we read these words about a bricks and mortar temple that was promised to the Israelites. Let us be reminded that that promise has its yes and its amen when the Lord takes residence in the heart of his people. So we're going to read the first four verses first of Ezekiel chapter 40, and then we'll read a little bit more. So the first verse of Ezekiel chapter 40 says, in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me to the city. In visions of God, he brought me to a land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze and a linen cord and a measuring reed was in his his hand and he was standing in the gateway and the man said to me son of man look with your eyes hear with your ears set your heart upon all that I shall show you for you were brought here in order that I might show it to you declare all that you see to the house of Israel you see we learn in verse 1 that this is the 25th year of exile and Ezekiel is given this new vision which closes out the book closes out the last 9 chapters of Ezekiel it had been 14 years since the fall of Jerusalem and since Ezekiel had received a vision from the Lord to the people in Ezekiel 33, 21. 
in which which reminds us that that was in the 12th year of our exile in the 10th month on the fifth day of the month a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said the city has been struck down so it's been 13 and a half almost 14 years since the people had heard a word from God since Ezekiel had received a vision You know, when we read this book and as we've been studying it over the last several months, we don't feel the passage of time. And and sometimes we don't even really notice those markers of the passage of time. It may feel like a long time since we first started studying the book of Ezekiel. But the truth is we don't appreciate the periods of silence and all of the passage of time. But the Lord had been silent for a while from Ezekiel chapter 39 to Ezekiel chapter 40. And it reminds us, where were we and what were we doing 14 years ago today? Could we imagine if we had not heard from our leader, if we had not heard from God, if we had not been able to even reach out to a loved one who was living in 14 years? That is the amount of silence that these who were captive in Babylon had heard. This was the, the time between visions of Ezekiel. And the people may have wondered if God had forgotten them. They may have doubted his sincerity to rescue and restore them to Israel. But what we do know is that God, is that even when it seems that God is silent or that it's been a while since we have clearly felt his presence, that he will always make a way back. And so, beloved, does it feel to you like it's been a a long time since you've clearly felt his presence? Know that he will make a way back. And I implore you, seek him in his word. The Lord speaks through his word every day and for all of our days. God's silence does not mean he is absent. God knows exactly when we need to hear and what we need to hear. The Lord will provide the exact word we need in the exact moment we need it. So the Lord brings this vision to Ezekiel for the people. In Ezekiel chapters 40 and 40 through 40 through 48, host this vision of a rebuilt Jerusalem, a rebuilt temple, and the renewing presence of God. As we read on in chapter 40, I want you to notice a few things in all of these details. First, as precise as the measurements are, there's no mention of height. Second, with all of the measurements, they are simple measures which will ultimately result in a square. And then third, This vision is not a brute blueprint, but it's a vision of something that will exist. It's more of a promise than it is a plan. So you don't get these precise height measurements. This isn't something that you can take Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 and go build a temple in your backyard. This isn't something that he meant for those in Babylonian captivity to go and build in Jerusalem exactly and precisely the way it was here. The measurements result in a square. What do we know? With the precision of the measurements and with the the simplicity of the measures, God is showing a vision, not a blueprint. This is a vision and a promise. It's not necessarily a procedure. And so we pick up in verse five. And and for the sake of time, as we read this, this may not mean much to us sitting in 2020 and 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 we read these words and it's like, this is, this is not cool, right? Unless you're into construction and unless you're in an architect, this is like, what in the world are all these measurements for? Why all these details? But in the same way, I wouldn't go to Colombia and South America and start to speak German. No one would understand me. These words would have been understood by the people of God. 
You forget that all throughout the Pentateuch, God gave explicit instruction on how to build the temple. You forget that the, the temple was the dwelling place of God. The temple was the centerpiece of worship. So when God is showing Ezekiel a vision of the temple and he's being precise and he's showing, hey, here's everything that's happening. This would have spoken their language. This would have triggered in the minds of the Israelites. God is making a way for his presence to come back to us. And so, beloved, on this side of the cross, as we read these words, although they may not mean as much to us as they would have meant in that day, let us realize that God is showing us in his unfolding plan that he is making a way back to himself. Verse 5, And behold, there was a wall all around the outside of the temple area, and the length of the measuring reed, the man's head, was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a handbreadth in length. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one reed and the height one reed. Then he went into the gateway facing east, going up its steps, and measured the threshold of the gate, one reed deep. And the side rooms, one reed long and one reed broad. And the space between the side rooms, five cubits. And the threshold of the gate by the vestibule of the gate of the inner end, one reed. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway on the inside, one reed. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and its jams, two cubits. And its vestibule of the gate was at the inner end. And there were three side rooms on either side of the east gate. The three were of the same size, and the jams on either side were of the same size. Then he measured the width of the opening of the gateway, ten cubits, and the length of the gateway, thirteen cubits. There is a barrier before the side rooms, one cubit on either side, and the side rooms are six cubits on either side. Then he measured the gate from the ceiling of one side room to the ceiling of the other, a breadth of twenty-five cubits, the openings faced each other. He measured also the vestibule, twenty cubits, and around the vestibule, of the gateway was the court and from the front of the gate at the entrance of the front of the inner vestibule of the gate was 50 cubits and the gateway had windows all around narrowing inwards towards the side rooms and their jams and likewise the vestibule had windows all around inside and the jams were of palm trees then he brought me into the outer court and behold there were chambers and a pavement all around the court 30 chambers faced the pavement and the pavement ran along the side of the gates corresponding to the length of the gates this was the lower pavement then he measured the distance from the inner front of the lower gate to the outer front of the inner court 100 cubits on the east side and of the north side as for the gate that faced towards the north belonging to the outer court he measures its length and breadth its side rooms three on either side and its jams of its vestibule were of the same size as those of the first gate its length was 50 cubits and its breadth 25 cubits and its windows and its vestibule and vestibule and its palm trees were of the same size as those on the gate that faced towards the east and by seven steps people would go up from it and find its vestibule before them and opposite the gate on the north as of the east was a gate of the inner court and he measured from gate to gate 100 cubits and it goes on and on even in chapter 40. Again, this is a promise of God restoring his people and dwelling once again with them. More than this was a plan to be executed. And many times in life, we just want a plan to execute in order to experience God. But what we get instead is a solid promise, which leads us to having faith in God and experiencing him to the fullest. So let's take a moment to put ourselves in the shoes of the exiles to whom Ezekiel first spoke this prophecy. These people knew their ancestral history, how God saved them from Egypt and dwelt with them in a beautiful tabernacle. Moreover, they remembered the glorious temple in Jerusalem, a structure so impressive and important that the Bible devotes 18 chapters to its layout, construction, and dedication, and the appointment of its workers. This temple was built at the height of Israel's prosperity and power under King Solomon. Now, let's try to see what God was seeking to communicate to these exiles. 
See, here was a disheartened people who had been told that the Lord left the temple and thus the promised land, enabling the Babylonians to capture Judah. Furthermore, this people had been told that their exile manifested God's wrath in Ezekiel chapter 16. Because of their great loss, they believed that restoration would never come, that their suffering meant the Lord's promises were hollow, Ezekiel chapter 33. So God communicates the glory of the restoration in terms that his audience would understand. Ezekiel begins to describe the restored temple and the city of Jerusalem, signifying the presence of God and showing the people that the Lord would once again restore his presence with his people. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel describes the glory of the restoration in terms familiar, familiar, familiar to his original audience. God was speaking a language the exiles could understand in order to convince them of his good intentions. You see, God's revelation is a progression. He revealed himself slowly over time, disclosing only those truths that his people needed in each generation, saving a fuller revelation of his plan for the future when his people were ready to receive it. And this all culminated in Christ Jesus. So throughout the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord is linked with the presence of God among Israel in a tabernacle. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, God's glory is revealed by His presence with us. Exodus 25, 8-9 reminds us, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 16 through 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The tabernacle was a specific dwelling place for God, a place for the glory of the, of the Lord by day and a cloud of fire by night. When the cloud was taken up, the sons of Israel would, Israel would set out. If the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out. When God moved, the people moved. If he didn't move, they didn't move. The Lord was promising in Ezekiel chapter 40, therefore, to restore his presence and reign over his people. Beloved, this wasn't just an Old Testament prophecy for an exiled people. This is a promise of God to all of his covenant people. You cannot outrun his love and you cannot escape his restoration. The Lord will draw you back into his presence and he will once again give you a heart of worship. See, the tabernacle temple was not just a signifier of the presence of God. It was also a restoration of the worship of God among the people. And that leads us to Exodus chapter 40. We see Moses is, is, is erecting this tabernacle. And we see what happens after he is done. Absolutely the way that the Lord had commanded Moses. You're going to hear over and over, as the Lord commanded Moses. And once Moses had done all the things that the Lord commanded him, watch what happens at the end of Exodus chapter 40. So starting in verse 17 of Exodus chapter 40. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. 
And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing for which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he, Moses, erected the court around the tabernacle and all the altar, and he set up the screen and the gate of the court. And so Moses finished his work. And then don't miss it. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire by it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. As we saw in Ezekiel chapter 10 through 11, God's presence and glory left the temple during the Babylonian exile. But here, right? We're we're not plans for that glory to come back, but a promise that God was giving to his people, that his glory, his presence, and his praise would return among his people. But beloved, on this side of the cross, we have the promise of Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 in God's presence in us, that he will never leave us and that he will never forsake us. Three ways that we see Jesus in the tabernacle temple, which reassure us of his, that his presence will never end. So three ways we see Jesus in the tabernacle temple, which reassure us that his presence will never end with us. First, Jesus is the true bread of life. Verse 22 and 23 remind us that Moses put the table in front of the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. So on the right hand side of the Holy of Holies, we see the the table of showbread, the table of bread. This is what the priest would have have, have nurtured himself with, would would have nourished himself with before he went in to minister before the Lord. And we were reminded in John chapter 6, verse 35, that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Oh, beloved, God's word, he's given us his word to fulfill us, sustain us, and nurture us. He is the bread of life that feeds us, that nourishes our soul. The question is, are we giving God's word true preeminence in our lives? Is the study, reading, and hiding of God's word in our heart a priority for us? 
Do we prioritize God's word over social media? Do we prioritize God's word over politics? Do we prioritize God's word over activity? Are we thirsty? Are we hungry for God's word? He is the bread of life. Jesus is the true bread of life. In the temple, the bread was to be placed like manna, new each and every day. Right? The bread was replaced each and every day. It wasn't old, stale bread. In the same way, Jesus' mercies are new every morning. And his living word is an evidence and reassurance today of his abiding presence. So if you feel like you are far away from the cross, if you feel like you are far away from the presence of God, beloved, believe in Jesus. He is the bread of life. Read his word. Study his word. Hide his word in your heart that you may not sin against him. But the second evidence, the second way that we see Jesus in the tabernacle temple, which reassures us that his presence will never end, and that is number two, Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the true light. On the left-hand side outside the Holy of Holies, it says that Moses put a lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite of the table of showbread on the south side of the tabernacle. And he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. The question for us is, does our walk testify of our fear, respect, and trust of God? Are we walking in the light or are we stumbling with the things of the darkness? Why, why were these Israelites in exile? They were in exile because they had walked around in darkness. They had the light of the glory of God among them in the temple. And yet they chose to stumble with the things of darkness. Jesus says in John 8, 12, he, he speaks to them again. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, beloved, we are able to walk in the light of Christ Jesus. He is our hope. He is our source and he is our purpose. We are not stumbling through life without direction, but we are boldly marching through life knowing that we have a high calling to make the gospel known to all nations. When we see that our calling is clear, and recognize that Jesus is the never-ending light of the world. We know this is an evidence and reassurance of his abiding presence. Jesus is the true light. But the third way we see Jesus in the temple tabernacle that reminds us that his presence will never leave us is that Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Verse 30 through 33 says, He set a basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, which Moses and Aaron the high priest at that time and his sons washed their hands and their feet. And when they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and he set up a screen of the gate of the court. You see, when Moses set up this temple, there was a high priest who had to go and, and make sacrifice and atonement for himself before he could make uh, sacrifice and atonement for the people. And he had to do this year after year, moment after moment. And Aaron would die and his sons would die. Actually, his sons would die uh, by making uh, unauthorized fire before the altar of the Lord. And they would be struck down by the Lord. These, these high priests would come and go. Oh, but Jesus, our high priest, is eternal. He's never ending. And he's interceding for us. 
Beloved, in the circumstances, difficulties, and temptations of life, remember that Jesus is interceding for you at that very moment. In that circumstance, Jesus is interceding for you. In that difficulty, Jesus is interceding to the Father for you. In that temptation, Jesus is interceding for you to God the Father. And so we go to him with confidence in prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. It says in Hebrews, he intercedes with groans and pangs when you cannot begin to express your need. Beloved, when you cannot express your need, when your circumstances are so difficult, when the temptations are so hard and you don't even know what to pray, pray to God and he will intercede in ways that you can never even begin to express to his father. Jesus is our high priest and he's interceding for us. Hebrews chapter seven, I love Hebrews. Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is seeking to show that everything in the Old Testament finds its yes and amen in Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22 starts this way. This makes Jesus the grantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men and their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. O beloved, We have great assurance that Ezekiel 40, 48 has been physically completed with the rebuilding of the temple. And oh, beloved, we have great assurance that Ezekiel 40 through 48 has been spiritually and is being spiritually completed in us as God is making his temple in us. Oh, and we have great assurance from Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 that this prophecy will be firmly finalized when Christ Jesus returns to set up his final rule and reign. So let us stand firm. We may feel as though the Lord is silent, but his presence is our reminder that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. The Lord always makes a way back for his people. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender podcast, Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Hong Kong, praying for the gospel to spread. We're praying for Mother's Choice, our partner there in Hong Kong. We pray that believers would continue to rest in the sovereignty of the Lord, even amongst seemingly hopeless political and social unrest. Uh, We're praying for local families to be open to significant children with significant medical needs. Uh, We're praying that more families would come forward uh, to help uh, bring home these children. Uh, We pray for the political tension that's going on between Hong Kong and mainland China. And we praise the Lord for the opportunity for the gospel to flourish in Hong Kong. Let's pray. Lord, we certainly pray today that the gospel will continue to spread in Hong Kong and that the local believers will manifest the gospel to vulnerable children and families. We pray for the safety of Mother's Choice staff, for foster families and caregivers, as well as children during ongoing protests and a global pandemic. 
I pray that believers would rest in the sovereignty of the Lord, even amongst seemingly hopeless political and social unrest. We pray for more local families to be open to adoption, and especially adoption of significant medical special needs children. We pray that, God, you would provide loving, stable caregivers for children while they wait. And we pray that the Social Welfare Department would improve and streamline their process to avoid children waiting much longer than needed. We pray for continued favor with the Hong Kong Social Welfare Department and and our relationship with Mother's Choice. We pray that Mother's Choice leadership would be convicted to be uncompromising in their Christian values. We pray for the encouragement and stamina of all the staff at Mother's Choice. We praise you for the many mission-minded families in the program who are waiting with hope despite unusually long time frames. We praise you for the excellency with which Mother's Choice serves the children in their care. We praise you for Hong Kong's unique relationship with China and the opportunity for the gospel to flourish in the region. And we praise you that families are getting closer to traveling to Hong Kong. Lord God, we pray that you would watch over this island nation, that you would protect them and that you would use them for the spread of your glorious gospel. We love you, praise you, and it's in your name we pray, the name of Jesus. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music